Well, good morning, church. After last week and uh, our time of sermon on prayer, there must be some righteous people in here that were praying for snow. You got it. You got it. I'm glad you're all here this morning. Hopefully, you know, it wasn't that bad. You're, you're all veterans here driving in the snow, except for Paul from, you know, down south. He got here early. It was great. No problem for you. We are excited to start a new study in the, uh, the book of John. And uh, today is, is simply an introduction. So again, I want to I stress that um, because part of introductions for me as a pastor, when I do an introduction, I get, I get sort of antsy. I can't wait for the next week when we get into the content. Um, introduction is like the first day of school. You go to all your classes and you find out what you're going to have to do when you show up the next day. And so I sort of feel like that's what an introduction can be. But I hope and pray that it's more than that today. I hope that God just enlightens us with, with some new things that we've never known before. Um, and, and I want to encourage you, um, take a look back at this week's email. If you didn't get it, that little uh, visitor card, put your information on there, put in the blessings box. The blessings box is where we put our offering. Put that in, uh, your email in there. We can email you this week if you're interested in small groups. But last week, we, we named off some places for small groups. Sunday night, uh, Brian's, I believe, a house. Um, again, this starts next Sunday. Tuesdays will be here. Um, and, and I you know um, Paul and Ryan and Javier and Tracy are going to be here Tuesday night. Thursday night, uh, Jerry and Janelle Reeder will be here. And on Sunday, I'm sorry, Saturday morning, Dan Moore will be leading that group. So there's multiple groups meeting different times. Here's what's going to happen. Starting next week, whatever I'm preaching on, which will be John chapter 1. Who knows how far I'll get through that. But um, that week, starting actually that night, in small groups, you'll cover that material. But you'll go a little bit deeper and have time to talk about it and process it a little bit more. And if you can't come at one of them, let's say you've been coming on Tuesday nights, but something comes up Tuesday night you can't come, go to the one on Thursday or Sunday night or Saturday morning. It's all going to be the same material. Just different locations, different times to fit all the different needs we have out here. So I hope you can be a part of that. Uh, you'll go a little bit further. I know we had over 40, 50 people that said they're in and they're signing up and you can still do that. I know we got Financial Peace University kicking off tomorrow night. There's a lot of great things going on, um, but I'm, I'm looking forward to this. So do me a favor, grab your Bibles. Uh, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll bring one to you. Um, we'll be opening up the Word here in a little bit. Obviously, we'll be looking at the book of John, but there are some other books that we need to look at along with this. And, and you know, some people say, why John? I want you to think about this. I often have people, they just maybe made a new decision to give their life to Jesus Christ or new in their faith, and we, they're like, where do I start reading? Or somebody picks up the Bible, like, where do I start reading? And we say, well, go to the book of John. You ever wonder why people tell them to go to the book of John? It seems like such a, just a good book, right? It's one of the Gospels. Uh, maybe that's why we're going there. Maybe because it has some incredible miracles, um, miracles that aren't recorded anywhere else. The great I am statements, I am the way, the truth, and life, which we just sang. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Jesus makes these incredible statements in the book of John and teaches on those. For some reason, it is a favorite book for a lot of people. And I want you to think about why is it your favorite book? If, or what's your favorite story from the book of John? I want you to start processing, thinking through that. Uh, and whether it's your favorite or not is one of the most read. And when you open up the book of John, as you would any other book, you've got to ask questions. 
Okay, otherwise, you're just reading. There's something there that God wants to reveal to you. So when you open up a Bible to study, you do a couple things. You try to discover its context. You want to know uh, who wrote it. When did they write it? Where were they at when they wrote this? To whom were they writing it to? You think about this. There, there's got to be a purpose for this book, right? So what was the purpose of this book? And then you have to ask the question, too. If this book was written like almost 2,000 years ago, how can it be relevant for me today? Yeah, it's an old book. What does it have to do with today's life and culture, right? Well, we know this about the book of John as we start asking a lot of these questions, which we're going to do right now, and we're going to start answering these questions because I want you to know the setting of John before we dig into John. If we just dig into John, we'll probably take things out of context and that will hurt us. So let's get into the, the correct context. First of all is this. We know it's one of the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the first four books in the New Testament, they're called the Gospels. The Gospels is, means good news. It is a bibliography, basically, of Jesus Christ. His life, his teachings, his miracles, what he did. Um, it's also called, not all know, synoptic Gospels, which means they are seen together with a common view. The word synoptic literally means together sight. Um, and when that happens is this, you take Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and you lay them out side by side, and you look at them together, and you see there's a lot of great comparison. John's not considered one of those. John is, sort of sits outside of it because 90% of the content of John is new. It was not in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Think about that. Many of us are like, oh, it's just, it's just the same thing. It's just a different author. No, 90% of John is different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's just pretty amazing. So you have to sit there and think, okay, well, the content is extremely different. Why is that? So, so who is, who's John? We've got John the Baptist. We've got John who's a disciple, an apostle. I'm sure there are many other Johns, right? So who is John? He was originally, as you think back to this, a follower of, of John the Baptist. He was following John the Baptist around for a while, and probably late teens, getting to early 20s, it's when he discovers that, as John the Baptist said, look, there, behold, there's the Lamb of God. It was at that time some of the followers of John the Baptist said, let's go follow Jesus Christ. Because he's the true Lamb. The Lamb of God. So, at one time he was with John the Baptist and then he started following Jesus. And we know John was a fisherman. His brother was James. They were inseparable. You see them all through the Bible. James and John, John and James. You see them usually pieced together. And you remember these guys, they were hotheads. Some of you think, you know, I've got a temperature. John had a, had a, a temperament that was pretty crazy, okay? Um, he got hot. Matter of fact, there's one time he and his brother, they were mad at these Samaritans. And they looked at Jesus and said, hey, can we just call down fire on these Samaritans and just burn them up? I don't know about you, last time you got really mad at somebody and you just wanted them to burn up, okay? You probably weren't that vicious. You were just sort of mad at them. John took it the next step, right? He was pretty rugged, explosive, ambitious. Matter of fact, he even argued with some of the other disciples and probably his brother too, who's the greatest disciple? Oh yeah, they were arguing about the who's the greatest disciple. Jesus caught him too, you know, like, what are you guys talking about? Oh, nothing, right? Yeah. Now you consider his temperament and where he started. The cool thing is he matured. He grew and over those three years with Jesus, his life changed. He's eventually known as the disciple of love. How's that? First, he's calling down fire on the Samaritans, and now he's known as the disciple of love. Big change, right? 
That's what Jesus does to us. We know that there were 12 main disciples, three who were really close, Peter, James, and John. They were like the inner circle. He was part of that inner circle. He was at the transfiguration of Jesus on the mountains. I'm like, what's that? Open up your Bibles with me to the book of Mark. Okay, Mark chapter 9. It's the second book in the New Testament. Mark chapter 9. We're actually going to start in verse 2. I know I put 1 up there. I meant verse 2. In this story... Jesus is going to go up on this mountain and he pulls his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. He says, I want the three of you guys, I want you to come with me. And let me, let me start reading this. Chapter 9 of the book of Mark, starting in verse 2. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John. He went to the top of a mountain. No one else was there. As these men watched, Jesus' appearance changed. His clothing became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly process could ever make. I'm going to pause there for a second because I want you to know John, who is writing, who is there on the mountain. Remember, John also wrote the book of Revelation. If you've ever read the book of Revelation, you remember Jesus Christ was described as wearing white, dazzling. And it's like, wait, some of this sounds familiar, right? Okay, so let's read on. Then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. Verse 5. Teacher, this is wonderful, Peter exclaimed. Remember how... Peter just loves to open up his mouth and say things at inappropriate times. We will make three shrines, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He really didn't know what to say, for they were all terribly afraid. Verse 7. Then a cloud came over them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Suddenly they looked around, and Moses and Elijah were gone. Only Jesus was with them. And they descended the mountainside. He told them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Verse 10. So they kept it to themselves, but they often asked each other what he meant by rising from the dead. So Peter, James, and John just had this incredible thing. They see Jesus transfigured up on the mountain. They see Moses and Elijah, and they're like, this was awesome, right? And they're, and they're getting ready to come down the mountain. Jesus is like, and don't tell anybody what you just saw. Like, what? Come on. I mean, how many times have we posted things on social media like, just went and got a coffee, you know, and we, we post it, you know, we post everything. My cat ran across the road, look. You know, we post everything, okay, because we want everybody to know what's going on in our lives. Peter, James, and John just saw Jesus transfigured on top of a mountain. They just saw Moses and Elijah, and Jesus like, you can't say anything. Uh, no selfie, Jesus? No. Oh, can you imagine how hard it is to keep that kind of news in? And they never shared Makes you wonder, makes you wonder when Peter, James, and John are arguing about who's the greatest. Do you think maybe they're sitting there going, we're the greatest because we got to see, well, we just, we were just the greatest. You know, they couldn't tell why because they were up on the mountain, right? Couldn't tell. You, you sort of wonder. But again, the transformation of John through his time with Jesus is incredible. He was also the only disciple to be at the crucifixion. In the garden, all the disciples fled. They all ran. They wanted comfort instead of suffering, and they ran. But John came back to the cross when Jesus was crucified, and he was there with the mother of Jesus, with Mary. He was the first of the disciples to reach the empty tomb. We read uh, in John chapter 20 that he outran Peter. I love that in his own book. He's like, yeah. I was quicker than Peter. I ran him. I got to the tomb first, right? He also refers to himself as the one who is loved by Jesus or the other disciple. Never uses his name. After Jesus ascends into heaven, John stayed in Jerusalem 
for 35 years. He then moved to Ephesus. Now, Ephesus sounds familiar because, oh, the book of Ephesians was written to the church in Ephesus. John pastored the church in Ephesus. Besides Luke and Paul, John wrote more the New Testament than any other human author. He spoke in black and white terms. There was no gray. It was, listen, right, wrong. There was no middle road with John. As you read his writings, you will see that. So it is now, think about this, 90 AD. 90 AD. This is 60 years, 60 years after Jesus has ascended and gone into heaven. Resurrected, ascended into heaven, 60 years later, 90 AD, John's like, I'm going to write a book. Now, that might floor some of you because you're thinking, wait, he's got to be in his late 80s, close to 90. And he's now going to write about Jesus? What kind of memory does he have? Maybe his memory is like, sort of lost out there and he can't remember a thing. Now, for some of you, you can testify to this. If you're older in here, okay, as you get older, I believe this. I believe short-term memory goes quicker than long-term memory, okay? I, I, I can't remember certain things from yesterday, but I can tell you something that happened maybe 15, 20 years ago. It's different for everybody. But I think for John, remembering what happened to Jesus was not a problem. Let me give you an example. I found this, this book. I was visiting um, my mom a couple years ago, and I, she gave this to me. And, and I opened it up and started to read it. It was pretty cool. Uh, it's called My Boyhood Days by Carl G. Stump. That's my grandfather. Okay? So my grandpa wrote this book. Okay? So I'm going to read it. So I'm going to read a portion of it to you right now. I was the 11th child of a family of nine boys and three girls. We had Christian parents and were thought of as a Christian family of the Stumptown community. Cool, we had our own town. Um, to you, my family, relatives, and friends, I wish to take you inside the souls and minds of my forebears and on a memory trip and explore myself as a growing lad of the yesterdays. You'll see my struggle at times to do the right against the temptations of childhood. I will also take you briefly to some years of more maturity, but the soul and spirit of a lad will still be there. As a child, I think I was two Carls. On the conventional side, I was a normal boy, just taking life day by day. But there was a second Carl that would shut himself up with unanswered questions. Why did my mother die? Why Did God really care about me? And then when older, what was that shy feeling if you were attracted to a pretty girl? Were these just normal questions of any lad? There were no thoughts of old age and of life's adventures. I mean, what would you, what would they do to you? Would you be a farmer? Would you get rich like the neighbors, the Joneses? He actually wrote that. Um, who would you marry? Have a family? Just what should you do with your life? As a boy, I felt I had the protection and care of praying parents that kept me from going down some evil paths. I was offered cigarettes and liquor and evil ways, but I honored my parents' wishes. Yet, no doubt, I caused them much concern at times. Now, after many years, I invite you to read about it. I apologize for my inaccuracies of description as a 90-year-old memory can be faulty. He was 90 when he wrote this. And you could hear as, he, as I read that how well versed he was. And, and I go through and there's stories after stories. My first automobile, you know, uh, social life, growing up in the church, non-invited guests, the conference in 1918 at Union Grove. And it's like, 
He was 90 when he wrote this. So when I sit here and think about, well, John was close to 90 when he wrote the book of John, I wonder if his memory was faulty. And I'm going to sit there and say, no. I'm sure all those things that the Holy Spirit had laid upon his heart were ready to be spilled onto the paper. So that's John, but where was John at? Well, let's, let's sort of look at the area where he was, was from. Uh, the best I could do in, in this for you right now, I'm sure there's better maps out there, but at the very top circle is Rome. Rome is where Luke wrote his book in 60 AD, 30 years before John. South of Rome, you go across the Mediterranean, see down towards the bottom is Alexandria. Mark wrote his book around 55, 60 AD, again, about 30 years before John. And then you start to head north and, and to the west uh, is Antioch of, Antioch of Syria. That's where Matthew wrote his book in around 60, 65 AD. And just north of there, off to the your left to be the, the west, is Ephesus, also known as Asia Minor. And that's where John wrote his book in 90 AD. Okay, so something like, yeah. Did you notice where every author from different areas wrote to different people at different time periods? Or actually, Matthew, Mark, Luke wrote theirs, pretty similar time period. But John was like 30 years after them. Why does that matter? John doesn't have to retell the stories of Jesus in Ephesus when he's writing this. Because they've already heard these stories. Those books have been around for, those writings have been around, those teachings have been around for 30 plus years. The teachings, the stories. So John's like, let me, let me expand on these. Let's go deeper. Let's hear a little bit more. And so he does that. And you think about this. He's living in Ephesus. Ephesus was a central port. It was a place where a lot of people came in and out of. Biblical, biblical characters we read about were in and out of Ephesus. Paul was there three years preaching in Ephesus. And after that, John wrote the book. Some of us are like, oh, I thought Paul did all that way after the disciples. Does that sort of change your thoughts now on, on how this was written? This area, Ephesus, was, already knows who Jesus is. The stories, the teachings of Jesus are known. Paul pretty explained that. So John's going to go at a deeper level and give more information. Again, 90% of John is new material about Jesus Christ and his teachings. That's what makes this book so incredible. So, now let's focus a little bit more on Ephesus because I want to, I want to help you understand the, the culture. Now, I am not, I'm going to be the first to tell you, confession time. When it comes to context of the Bible and studying and the Holy Lands and, and ancient biblical towns and cities, and I'm not an expert on that. So I've got to dig and search and research, do my homework to make sure that I clearly present that to you. So I look for experts to help me with that. Brad Gray is one of them. He's from Adrian, originally from Adrian, Michigan. His dad is, is Gary Gray and his brother is Doug Gray. And they put on an awesome basketball camp up in Adrian, Michigan that we've always been a part of. And um, he's not only doing that in the summer, having fun with kids with basketball, but he travels over to the Middle East and goes to visit all these, as you're reading through the Bible, all these biblical places, the holy lands, and he studies the context of these, these cities with God's word, piecing things together, and then he shares that. He has some great in-depth teaching. I'm only going to do slight injustice. I'm going to do a lot of injustice to him, but uh, I'm going to do slightly what he does in trying to share this information with you. 
as I study it, it's like it's profound. It's like I, I hope and pray that this helps you understand a little bit more. Okay, so Ephesus is located basically, you think, where Turkey is. It's the western part of Turkey. It was the capital of the province of its time. Okay, This area was important to the Roman Empire. Now, I want you to think about this, too. Next to Ephesus were six other churches and towns that you may recognize. These are the ones that were listed, actually, in the book of Revelation, which is another book that John wrote. So when you hear those those churches listed, they were right there where John lived. This was a port city, a harbor city, which means there's a lot of commerce, there's a lot of travel. This picture does not do justice. Uh, again, you can probably Google. Um, there's some archaeological type sites you can go to as well to get some better pictures. Um, but by permission, I was not allowed to use them, so I'm using this one. But this was a very busy city, it had everything politician. Medical schools, uh, which, by the way, were very sophisticated, even so much they, they had medical Olympics. Is that crazy? I like, I don't know, like, who could do the better surgery on this guy? I don't, I don't know what, what had happened. Um, but it, that's how uh, incredibly smart they were and educated. Uh, it was a popular location for philosophers, for students. They would gather to debate, to teach, to learn in, in the library. So if you look up at the map, number, um, I believe it's number 11, down towards the bottom. So the port is off to your left, to the, the west. And then you come in, number seven, straight up ahead. I want you to look at that real quick, the Grand Theater. Then work your way down the street to number 11, which is the library. Uh, That is where these philosophers would meet and teach. But here's the crazy thing. Right across the street um, was something that was not very educating, okay? Uh, it was a brothel. A brothel was a house of prostitution. And they, that was just wide open, like, hey, we want everybody to know about it. They advertised it. On the streets, they would chisel into the, into the stone, like a picture of, of a female and, and her body parts with an arrow, with a smiley face, pointing right at the brothel. So everybody knew where to go, as if they needed to look down to see that. They already knew. Because this is the kind of city Ephesus was. There's so much going on there. This was an unfortunate thing that was pretty prevalent. As well as they had um, slave, uh, slave trade was going on. That was a rather large thing as well. The city contained a large theater, which I, I pointed out to you, which shared some of the best actors. Um, and, and at that time, uh, the stadium held over 24,000 people. So it was a big place. A lot of production took place there. It was also used for other things that would go on, whether it was uh, maybe an important speech was given. Uh, it was said that Ephesus was considered to be the first location of a gladiator contest, uh, as well as the location of a lot of incredible Olympians and athletes. There was a huge temple built to Artemis, who was to be the twin brother of Apollo, uh, to Apollo, the brother of Apollo, uh, the goddess of of the moon and hunting and chastity. This goddess was incredibly worshipped in Ephesus. Highly worshipped. The matter of fact, the temple contained 127 columns. You know those big, you never see those like those big pillars. Okay, those columns that sky high. Uh, it was considered to be um, one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. It was that big. Okay. Four times bigger than the Parthenon, the, uh, the Artemis cult was incredibly huge. Now, grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts, okay? The book of Acts. If you're in Mark, just go back to Mark, yeah, Luke, John, then Acts. Acts chapter 19. 
Acts chapter 19, there's a story here I want you to read. It's one of my favorite stories. Um, Paul had been traveling on a missionary journey. He had been in Ephesus. He had some of his followers with him, traveling with him, his companions. They had been sharing about Jesus Christ. They had been in Ephesus. Um, and then as they went in uh, to the synagogue, they preached boldly. Uh, for, for months there about the kingdom of God. Some people rejected the message. Some people accepted the message. But those that accepted the message of Jesus Christ were incredibly changed. Um, let's start with verse 17. Acts chapter 19, verse 17. It says this, The story of what happened spread quickly all through Ephesus to Jews and Greeks alike. Again, this is a huge city. There's all kinds of people, Jews, Greeks, everybody. A solemn fear descended on the city in the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of them had been practicing magic. They brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars. So the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. So you can imagine this. Paul and these missionaries, they go into Ephesus, they share about Jesus Christ, and people are like, I need to change my life. I've been worshiping false idols. I've been worshiping these things. I've been worshiping material things. And so they took all their idols and their things, and they went into the public square, and they burned it all. Millions of dollars worth. Pretty awesome, right? Unless you're a merchant who sells those items. Check out what happens. Verse 21. Afterward... Paul felt impelled by the Holy Spirit to go to Macedonia and Achaia before returning to Jerusalem. And after that, he said, I must go to Rome. So he sent his two assistants, Timothy and Erastus, on ahead to Macedonia while he stayed a little bit longer there in the province of Asia. You're like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Verse 23. But about that time, serious trouble developed in Ephesus concerning the way. The way were those who were called Christians. It began with Demetrius, a silversmith who had a large business manufacturing silver shrines of the Greek goddess Artemis. He kept many craftsmen busy. He called the craftsmen together and along with others employed in related trades and addressed them as follows. So here's Demetrius. He makes these idols for Artemis. Everybody's confessing their sins to a holy God following Jesus Christ. So they're burning their their stuff and they're not coming to Demetrius anymore to buy his goods. He's getting mad. Okay, so let's read verse, uh, taking off from what he says in verse 25. Gentlemen, You know that our wealth comes from this business. And as you've seen and heard, this man, Paul, has persuaded many people that handmade gods aren't gods at all. And this is happening not only here in Ephesus, but throughout the entire province. Of course, I'm not just talking about the loss of public respect for our business. I'm also concerned that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will lose its influence and that Artemis, this magnificent goddess worshipped throughout the province of Asia and around the world, will be robbed of her prestige. Again, her temple is considered one of the ancient seven wonders of the world. This is a huge place. And so he's using the argument, boy, we're going to lose people coming to Ephesus. Everybody's going to financially start hurting This is going to be bad. She's going to lose her prestige, everything. Verse 28. At this, their anger boiled. They began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And the crowd began to gather. And soon the city was filled with confusion. Listen to this. Everyone rushed to the amphitheater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, who were 
Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. Paul wanted to go in, but the believers wouldn't let him in. So they took two of Paul's companions, took them into this middle of this big um, stadium, basically. And Paul's like, I need to get in there with them. I need to get in with them. And the other believers are like, no, Paul, we can't let you in. They'll probably kill you. So they're keeping Paul outside while the other two believers are standing in there. Verse 32, inside the amphitheater, the people are all shouting some one thing, some another. Everything was in confusion. In fact, most of them didn't even know why they were there. Verse 33, Alexander was thrust forward by some of the Jews who encouraged him to explain the situation. So he motioned for silence. He tried to speak in defense. But when the crowd realized he was a Jew, they started shouting again. And they kept it up for two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Can you imagine that being in this amphitheater? 24,000, if it was that same amphitheater, 24,000, just shouting, great as Artemis of the Ephesians, great as Artemis of the Ephesians, for two hours straight. You ever been to a ball game, basketball game, football game, a huge stadium where fans are cheering all the time? You even take a break, right? Two hours straight. Meanwhile, these two believers in Jesus Christ just stood there as people shouted upon them. This is Ephesus. This is where John is. Understand the context of, of where, what John's world is like. Near the end of John's life, Domitian, uh, who was a Roman ruler, uh, he made this the world headquarters for emperor worship. John refused to worship Domitian, and that was when Domitian said, I'm going to exile you to this island called Patmos, which was just west of Ephesus off the coast. And that's where he wrote the book of Revelation as well. That's John's world. He lived there. He lived there for Jesus for 65 years, surrounded by actors, politicians, athletes, doctors. Great interaction with all of them, Jews, Greeks. His brothers in Christ are now gone. The other disciples, all martyred. His own brother, killed by the, for the name of Jesus Christ. He's by himself. He's in this huge, huge city. And he says, it's time to write more about Jesus. What an incredible thing. Open up your Bibles now to the book of John chapter 1. John chapter 1. So we come now to the book of John. I'm not going to get in depth uh, this week on, on John chapter 1. I just want to read the first few verses and then give some closing thoughts on, on John chapter 1 and, and this whole context of, of our author John and, and where he's at. John chapter 1, let's read. In the beginning, the word already existed. I'm going to pause for a second just so you help out as we read this. The word we're talking about when it says the word, we're talking about Jesus Christ. Okay. In the beginning, the word already existed. He was with God. He was God. He was in the beginning with God. He created everything there is. Nothing exists that he didn't make. Life itself was in him, and this life gives light to everyone. The light shines through the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent John the Baptist to tell everyone about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was only a witness to the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was going to come into the world, verse 10. But although the world 
was made through him, the world didn't recognize him when he came. Even in his own land, among his own people, he was not accepted. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn. This is not a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan. This rebirth comes from God. So the word became human and lived here on earth among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son of the Father. As we begin to read the book of John, it's so loaded with content. Uh, the guys that are doing their small group, they're leading small groups, I've had to apologize over to them. I, I was like a month ago, I said, I'll get you the material. I'll get you the material. And I've been dragging my feet. Because the more I study, the more content keeps coming up. And it's like, okay, i got to put an end to this. We're not going to be able to cover it all. But it's so rich in content. But let me ask you this. When I first started to read that, what did you hear? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God. The Word was with God. As you're reading that, in the beginning. So take you back to Genesis. When, when, when there was nothing. It was just darkness and chaos. And it says, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. As I'm reading John 1, I'm sitting there, in the beginning. It just takes me back to Genesis. When it was dark, it was chaotic. And I'm thinking when John's writing, he's saying, you know what? I'm living in a dark, chaotic world. In the beginning, God created the world, right? In the beginning was the word, was Jesus Christ. And I just sort of see this, that John is saying, I wanted to connect you with something here. I want you to go back to when there was darkness. Remember Genesis chapter 3 when sin entered the world? Now darkness comes back. God created light, created the world, created a, a world of perfection. And then sin enters the world and just sort of masses it all up and gets dark again. And then God says, I'm going to put into my plan now to send the light of the world, Jesus Christ. And now we come to that point in the book of John where it says, it happened. The light has arrived. The light of this world has come. To reconcile our relationship with God. The light that created the entire world has now entered through our Savior, Jesus Christ. The light is breaking through the darkness. Jesus has come to rescue us. And John's book is an announcement that the light of the world has come. And it's an invitation to everyone, to all, to believe. And again, he's in this incredible city that is filled with people who could care less about Jesus. They're following Artemis. They're going into houses of prostitution. They're going into places they should not be. And John's saying, the light of the world has come. The light of the world has come. So that we can believe. John chapter 1 verse 7 says, that all might believe. John chapter 1 verse 12 says, to all who believe. First John Chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Another book that John wrote, 1st and 2nd and 3rd John. 1st John chapter 1, he says this. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we've heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes. We touched him with our own hands. He's the word of life. This is the one whose life itself has revealed to us, and we've seen him. Now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and he's revealed to us now. John's like, I've seen him, I've touched him, I've talked to him, I'm testifying right now. I am bearing witness to what I believe. First John 5.13 says, 
I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may have eternal life. John says, am I getting this clear yet? I'm writing this book because I want you to believe and I want you to bear witness to it. In your Bibles, turn to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Verse 30 and 31 says this. The disciples saw Jesus do many miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in the book. But these are written so you can continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. What is the goal of John? Why is he writing this book? We need to know before we open up and start digging in. He was writing this book because he wants to help us believe that Jesus Christ is the light of the world, that he is the Son of God, that he is our Savior. He wants us to believe, and not only believe, but bear witness. John chapter 1, verse 7, 8. John himself, he says, referring to John the Baptist, because John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about light. Or another translation, he was to bear witness about the light. The Greek word for, for that, for that bear witness is martyreo. Martyreo is to say, I'm going to bear witness. I am going to affirm what I have seen with a testimony. I am going to basically, what I know to be true, I'm speaking it and I'm living it out. Now, how important is this to John? Matthew uses this word uh, only one time, and as you read through the Greek. Uh, Mark three times, Luke twice. Well, for John, over 47 plus times. I think he wants us to know something here. I believe he is, as he's writing this book, he's saying, I want you to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and I want you to bear witness. I don't want, I, if John was up here today, he'd probably say this, I'm tired of Christians who call themselves Christians, but act like somebody else outside these walls. I believe that's what he would be saying. He says, I want you to believe and I want you to not go bear witness. I, I want you to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he will change your life. Now I want you to go live that out. James said it. He goes, even the demons believe and they shudder. That word shudder means terrified. Like the hairs on the back of your neck stick up when you're scared. Okay, And it's like, <gasps> well, the demons believe in God and look what they do. I believe in God. What am I doing? Do people know that I'm a Christian? That's the worship team to come on forward. Church, I want to encourage you as we get into the book of John here. I believe John, in looking at when he wrote this, why he wrote it, everything that's going on around him, he had every reason to say, you know, I can just let Matthew, Mark, and Luke do it. But he had all these years, and he said, I want to add to this. Because I really want you to believe. And I don't want you to just believe. I want you to bear witness. I want you to live this out. It's amazing that Jesus loved the man who wanted to burn up the Samaritans. Because I think about this, some of us are like, well, I don't know if I could do that. Why, why not? Why can't you? If, if, if Jesus can change John, can he change us? If you call yourself a Christian in this morning, don't you think he can give you the strength to bear witness today? He did with John. Here's a guy that wanted to burn up the Samaritans, and Jesus was like, I love you. Here's a guy that argued about who's the greatest, and Jesus said, I forgive you and I love you. Here's a guy that was in the garden and ran when Jesus was arrested. 
And Jesus said, I forgive that too, and I still love you. And he looked at him from the cross and said, take care of my mom. And I'm sure there was more that went with that than we understand. Jesus looked at John in a different way, and he transformed him into a different man. And I believe God wants to do the same with us. He wants us to believe, but he wants us to bear witness. So as we study this book of John, just pray, God, what do I need to know? How can I understand this more? I want to believe. And I don't want you to believe. I want to bear witness. How can I live this out? Pray that that becomes clear every week as we study through his word. Would you stand, please? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an awesome God you are. God, where it starts for us is just a simple prayer of forgiveness where God, maybe we have been a hothead, blown up like John, and we've ran and we've deserted you and we, we we're afraid to stand up for you. And God, forgive us for those moments in our lives. Transform us, Lord. We believe. We just sang that song, I believe. God, I do believe in you. I believe in in you as my Heavenly Father. I believe in your Son, Jesus Christ. I believe in the Holy Spirit. God, I believe that the majority of us in this room, if not all of us, would believe that and say that. So God, we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord. But God, help us to go beyond just believing. Help us to bear witness. Help us to live it out. Because it's never easy. Sometimes we feel like those disciples in an amphitheater with 24,000 people screaming at us. We feel hated. We, we might feel embarrassed, but God help us to stand strong, to bear witness, to not budge, but to stand strong and say, I believe, and I'll bear witness. We bear witness by how we live for you. God, give us the strength to do that. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day you've given us. Thank you, Lord, for your many blessings. Lord, work through our hearts as we sing to you now. In our name we pray. Amen.